Welcome to Broad Gauge Gossips, the podcast where you can learn about the faculty of the Department of Military History in the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or U.S. Government. Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Abel, and I'm here with Associate Professor Dr. Zachary Fry. Hello. Hi. Great to be here. All right, so let's go ahead and start with uh, kind of the basic question. Tell us about your academic background. Sure. Well, um, I finished my Ph.D. at Ohio State in 2017, um, working in military history. Uh, my graduate advisor was Mark Grimsley. Um, pretty well known in the Civil War community, and um, my dissertation basically looked at the issue of political involvement among Union soldiers during the Civil War, uh, and really enjoyed my time at Ohio State, got to know a number of really great military historians who made me a much better scholar of military history, um, sort of broadly conceived. Um, went from Ohio State after finishing in 2017 to a visiting assistant professorship at West Point, um, and that was sort of a, a short-term one-year uh, gig, and about halfway through that, I um, got an offer from CGSC to start teaching down at the Redstone Arsenal Satellite Campus in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so I moved down there in early 2018, started teaching the Common Core H100 block of instruction. Um, really enjoyed teaching it as kind of a 19th century slash sort of early modern military historian. Um, lived in Huntsville for about a year and a half teaching down there. Uh, and after about a year and a half, my wife and I decided that we would like to move up to Northern Virginia to the DC area. And so I started at the Fort Belvoir satellite about three years ago now, right before COVID hit. Um, so I've been there uh, ever since in Northern Virginia. Okay, and as you mentioned, you're one of our satellite faculties. So you're not here at the mothership in Fort Leavenworth. Um, so, so how is the teaching experience different for you versus what our uh, in-house faculty does here? Well, in terms of the Common Core, um, it's pretty similar. Um, but the student body is very different, very different. Whereas you folks here get a lot of the um, operational heavy um, uh, folks with an operational background, uh, combat arms, we get basically everybody else. Um, we get a lot of doctors, um, a lot of nurses, um, other medical services, um, and also a lot of folks who are especially with the Fort Belvoir satellite, sort of in the, um, the D.C. metro area doing a lot of really sort of impressive and high-performing um, jobs. We get some folks uh, who are um, maybe joint congressional liaisons or um, F.A. 59 Army strategists or um, a, a, quite a few... Um, West Point instructors, and also quite a few Army lawyers, uh, JAGs, um, come up from uh, the UVA uh, JAG school. And so we have a, a really a really sort of rich diversity of students that we get at the Fort Belvoir campus that, that makes the um, 
the curriculum pretty rewarding to teach. Um, folks with a lot of master's degrees coming in. Um, and it, it makes for a really good experience in the classroom as a history instructor. So what does your year look like? Uh, and here at, at CGSC uh, Fort Leavenworth, we're on a, a more or less typical academic calendar, mm -hmm. but, but how is yours different? Yeah, ours is quite different actually. Um, so rather than teaching the full CGSC curriculum, um, which you folks teach here with the advanced operations course, we only teach the common core to our students. So um, in any given year, we are teaching the common core three times a year. Uh, because it's about a three and a half to four month uh, course, we are teaching it three times a year, which means the faculty does not get a great deal of downtime. Um, we basically end up with about, on average, I'd say about seven to ten days between uh, each iteration of H100. Uh, so, so that's basically when I take my leave and go home to Ohio and see family and everything. It's a pretty, um, it, it's a pretty fast-paced. Um, sort of uh, um, teaching load that we have. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about kind of your background and interests. Um, and let's start with Ohio State. So they're, they're, sure. for people who aren't aware, there are basically two um, kind of tentpole schools that explicitly do military history degrees. Um, and, and I went to one of them, the University of North Texas Military History Center. You went to the other at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Um, so what was your graduate experience like being around the kinds of, of military history professors who, who in many cases have written the books in their fields? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, on the one hand, um, it could be pretty intimidating, um, especially when you're starting out as a young graduate student. I didn't come in with an MA. I came in straight in um, with my bachelor's, and so, you know, I had six to seven years of this. Um, and the the faculty was... You know, was phenomenal. You mentioned some of these. Some of these guys had written um, just you know, tremendous landmark books, like Jeffrey Parker and Joe Gilmartin, and so forth. And John Lynn and John Lynn. Although John Lynn, at the at the time I was there, wasn't um, uh, wasn't teaching the sort of okay. consortium yeah. um, classes that he had been. Um, but uh, and, and Grimsley as well, my advisor, um, and then Pete Montsor being a, a really um, uh, a really good World War II scholar in his own right. It was it was a really um, rich experience from that standpoint. But I think what really made the experience um, a, a solid formative one for me was the insight I got from other graduate students. Having a military history program there with at any given time, let's say a dozen, maybe 15 graduate students who were working more or less explicitly in something military related, um, meant that there was a tremendous wealth of of knowledge and expertise to really um, to really gain from. Uh, and in addition to the civilian graduate students we had, and I know you experienced this at UNT as well, um, we had a number of Army captains um, who were coming in to basically get their graduate program taken care of in military history and uh, then go on to West Point to teach as mm -hmm. junior rotators. Mm -hmm. um, and many of them ended up being my best friends in graduate school and more or less the reason why I decided I wanted to per uh, pursue professional military education because I liked working with them so much. 
Yeah, that's a, I had a very similar experience. Um, and and talking a bit about your your research, so you do you do the Civil War. Um, I think it's understandable why you might want to be in the D.C. area. Yes. So how does it help you as a scholar to be proximate not just to uh, the major National Archives sites, mm -hmm. but also to many of the battlefields of the Civil War? Uh, I think it's, it's indispensable as a Civil War historian. Um, the National Archives is one repository that gets a lot of my attention, or at least has gotten a lot of my attention over the years before COVID. Um, likewise, the Library of Congress, and because those repositories are only ever you know, an hour to you know six hours away, depending on the commute, um, then I can go down there pretty much any time I want and fill in the gaps of whatever I'm working on, whether it's um, you know related to a book or an article or you know maybe even something that I really want to bring into my course um, teaching my students with. So. Uh, so that's really great. And in addition to the research repositories, like you said, it's also the battlefields. And the battlefields provide um, a, a, a really superb opportunity to um, take students, engage them in some active learning on the battlefield, um, and then also forge some good connections with folks who work for the National Park Service. Um, folks who work in other sorts of historical site um, public history that can help us out. Um, and it allows me to engage in some um, speaking events and things like that as well at some of these battlefields. So, so really what's great. the benefit to a student to, to, for example, stand at the foot of Mary's Heights and look up at what the Union Army was looking at at a battle like Fredericksburg? Well, um, it's... I hope that any experience that students have on a battlefield, uh, like, like Fredericksburg, um, is one where they are learning about what it took to be a Civil War soldier, or in, as the case may be, um, a field grade officer in the Civil War, um, but also maybe a little bit more abstractly to to, to find some sort of inspiration, to find some sort of, um, to find some sort of um, passion, maybe even that they didn't know existed uh, before they got to that battlefield. So hopefully, it inspires them to become more interested and and yeah, fills them with a sense of appreciation for the um, for the U.S. Uh, military profession of arms. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about what you're, you've written and, and researched on. Um, is it fair to call you a, a historian of soldiers' mentalities, mentalities, or, or beliefs? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, my work so far has dealt with um, what soldiers thought about the war they were fighting in the case of the Civil War and in the case of Union soldiers in the Eastern Theater. Uh, a field army in the Army of the Potomac that was very, very heavily politicized, that never fought more than about 100 miles from the nation's capital, um, an army whose most beloved um, field commander ran for president against Abraham Lincoln in 1864. That being McClellan. George McClellan, uh, who lost, um, of course. And so sort of being someone who's interested in soldier motivation, the Army of the Potomac presents a remarkable case study in how motivations um, can 
change and adapt really to um, the political dimensions as they play out in an event as uh, chaotic as the American Civil War was. So let's uh, let's ask the obvious but necessary question, right? We we have spent the last um, probably fair to say hundred. 70 years debating the meaning of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, what did the soldiers of the Army of the Potomac think they were doing? There was a variety of opinion in the Army of the Potomac um, about what they were doing in the ranks fighting this war. Um, I think the one thing everybody could agree on was the supremacy of national union. Um, I think everybody recognized the importance of the endurance of American Republican democracy, um, which Union soldiers believed was threatened by the apparent anarchy that seemed to be engendered by the secession of 11 southern states. Um, And as the war went on, of course, many Union soldiers came to believe that the war was much more worth fighting and that the republic was much more worth saving um, if this war ended um, in an American Union without chattel slavery. Um, So that broadly is what Union soldiers thought about the war they were fighting. It was for the endurance of American democracy um, and an American democratic system that would no longer have slavery by the time the war ended. Yeah, and I think that's a that's an issue. I imagine as a Civil War historian, you have you have faced both publicly and, and professionally over the last uh, certainly the last generation. Yeah. Um, so so what what would you say to the to the lost causer? What would you say to the person who would say, "No, this was about states' rights. It was about you know the Union. It was not about slavery." Well, I've been very heavily influenced by a number of scholars who've examined um, over the years the 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 almost purposeful process of constructing memory. And it's something that I try to impart to my students a lot at CGSC, the importance of differentiating between memory and actual history. History being the events that transpired, the historical record we have to go off um, when it comes to actually interpreting what happened. And memory is something far different, far more complex in a lot of ways, because it deals with, um, in the case of the Civil War, how an entire group of people chooses to memorialize, commemorate, and otherwise remember um, uh, an event. Uh, And in the case of the Confederacy or the the defeated, the vanquished Confederacy, um, how they choose to remember a really staggering amount of sacrifice. I mean, there's no getting around the fact that the white, um, the white, Southern population was absolutely devastated by the by the Civil War. Um, that Southerners' wealth um, was gutted, eviscerated by the war. Much of it because of um, the emancipation of the slave system. Um, but it's important to recognize, I think, the differences between memory and history, because if you understand those distinctions, you can see how the Confederate, or I should say Southern, white Southern memory of the Civil War is a very heavily sanitized version that really becomes, that really sorts of, sort of congeals um, by the early 20th century and one which specifically excludes 
um, the presence of slavery, which if you read forward in the historical narrative, um, certainly in the secession documents, there's not a lot of ambiguity about why the South is seceding. Yeah. So it's the difference between history and memory. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, Dr. Fry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Please be sure to check out our other podcast, A Confused Heap of Facts, where we sit down with military historians from the Department of Military History and special guests to talk about topics in military history. 